Hello and welcome to our Africa Travel Week Connect Unlock Africa podcast, where we bring the news, views, tips and tricks from tourism experts and personalities, sometimes simply sharing a window on their world and Africa's tourism sector. It's August, and that means the spotlight has to be on the powerhouse women in tourism on our continent. We're thrilled that you're joining us for this weekly series, where each week we have a catch-up with a dynamic woman who is making her presence felt on the African continent and within our tourism sector. That's exponential. The exponential nature of tourism, the ability for tourism to exponentially uplift this nation is what's important. Joining me today, I have Monica Yule, Westgrove's Chief Marketing Officer. I have had the privilege of working closely with Monica over the past year, and I know her as someone who is deeply invested in and committed to taking something or someone and making them flourish. A believer that tourism has great power and can transform a community and country, Monica is a change maker. It's been a real pleasure getting to know her, and I know you'll be captivated by her story. So tell us a little bit about you as a person, some of your loves, some of your loathes. So uh, what my loathes I think are easier to identify. I absolutely loathe people that are lazy with their spelling. Um, <laughs> and um, I, I will pick out a grammar error or a spelling error and a piece of copy or a piece of content immediately. Um, I think it's born out of the fact that hardly ever does anyone get my name right when they try and spell my first name, which is Monica with a K. And my surname, now that I'm married, is even worse because it's Yule with a capital I. But everybody seems to think I'm so extra. I'm so extra that I spell my surname with a lowercase l. <laughs> so uh, that was definitely would definitely be on the top of my list in terms of um, loaths. Um, my passions and my loves, yo, there's a lot. Um, people, communication, connections, um, just yeah, just finding the, the things that you can love about every single person that you interact with and finding that that sort of nugget of what makes them them special and what makes them unique. I really love having those sorts of engagements. Um, I'm very passionate about family. Um, I have a husband and a stepson, and I have a very, very in deep, deep connection with my siblings and with my mom. All right. And, um, yeah, so family is very important to me. Um, and, you know, looking after my health is also very important. It's always been important, but I think in the times we find ourselves in today, um, you know, looking after yourself and making sure that you physically, but also mentally do the things that allow you to be your best self, um, are very important to me. But that's, you know, quite a difficult thing to achieve when you are, as you are someone who's so cause driven, you know, you're not somebody who you dive right in, you roll up and I've been privileged to work with you over the last year quite closely. So I know that about you, that you just hang on, this needs to get fixed. I'm going to dive right in. (laughs) If you're that kind of person, how do you remove yourself or or, or put the boundary in place enough to be able to take care of yourself, but at the same time, take care of so many others, which is what you do. 
I think um, I think if we're all honest with ourselves, we know what that sort of minimum standard is of what you need to do for yourself in order to make sure that you show up, you know. Um, and I do definitely quite I'm quite regimented in terms of of not allowing things to crowd into that space too frequently. So I have to exercise ideally every day if I can. Um, I meditate ideally if I can. Um, I need to go out into nature as often as I possibly can. Um, and I need to spoil myself with a good meal and, and connection, right? So, and, and for me, I must be honest, the, the thing that drains me emotionally and, and, and psychologically isn't activity per se. The thing that drains me is a feeling of being ineffective or powerless or, you know, giving it your best shot and still not achieving what you set out to achieve. And so, you know, productiveness is actually stimulating for me. It's when you it's when you feel like it's all futile. So last year was really tough for everyone, I'm sure, because, you know, when I was still at private safaris back then, you know, all you were doing was business rescue for, you know, 365 days of the year, you know, and, and that's just really dissatisfying and very stressful. Whereas, you know, one of the beauties of being at Westgrow is that you have a really strong sense of, of, um, there's a, there's real importance to what you're doing and there's real, um, impact that you can have with what you do. And so, then it, then it doesn't feel like workload. Then it just feels like a privilege to be able to, to, you know, muck in. So what is it this year that keeps you up at night since you're not <laughs> in business survival mode from last year? I think, look, I, you know, my history has been, I would say 80% private sector and tourism and only percent public. So it's the ability for our sector to be able to operate and to start flourishing again um, is something that's, that will always be central to, to what I worry about in the short term. You know, I think um, every conversation we have with private sector um, just highlights again, the, the, you know, they really have to dig deep to find this resilience and to find the ability to ride this Corona coaster um, to be able to come out the other side. And, you know, and so for sure, this, the sense of like, you know, when will this, this finally come right? You know, I was saying in a, in a call, um, you know, we feel the tourism industry sometimes feels a bit like the whipping boy of all the different policymakers, you know, with regards to COVID protocols, you know, we're always the last on the list. We're always ignored. I mean, the cruise, that the cruise industry at this point in time is still specifically singled out as something that's not allowed to operate um, in the command council's regulations that we are regarded as non-essential. And that keeps me up at night. It keeps me up at night too. <laughs> what is your, your life passion and uh, how are you pursuing it? Um, I think, I think that's central to, to, to why Tim was able, Tim Harris was able to convince me to join Westgrove when I was so actually so committed and so passionate about the business of private safaris that it, you know, initially I turned him down flat, but you know, he did, he found my weak spot, which is the, this real need to contribute to the upliftment of 
this country through the beautiful device and through the really amazing opportunities that the tourism industry can provide in more stable times. And, you know, and that's really, that's really the thing that drives me is, is taking someone or an entity or an industry or something, taking it from one place and helping it grow and flourish um, into something better and bigger and stronger and you know and and I, I do that on a on a you know on a staff level so if I've got people that report to me I get great joy out of pushing them to exceed their own expectations and helping them grow and elevate into a you know more senior position and similarly I get I get very um I'm very passionate about the fact that, you know, you know, tourism can transform a community and it can transform a country. Um, and, and certainly that's true for South Africa and for the African continent. You know, I think tourism has great power and to you, transform. You see that as your role. How do you see that role evolving? How do you see your future doing that? Sure. I think anyone that wants to make a statement about their future at the moment is a very brave person. <laughs> I certainly think my crystal ball needs a software upgrade because my operating system on my crystal ball is not working at the moment. Um, I don't know, man. I mean, my career has always been a really intuitive sort of flow. You know, it's always like when it's felt right, then I've made the decision to do it. And, And I've always been very happy where I was until the next thing that excited me found me. So I'm not planning further ahead. I've only just got to Westgrove. This is month five. Um, and so there's still lots to do here. You know, there's, you know, at a provincial level, I see great power in, in collaboration more ever than ever before. Um, and I think because I've got private sector relationships and I've got public sector experience, I think that I'm uniquely placed to, to bring people together to kind of crowd in and, and do more together than we could separately. And I think similarly, there's a great opportunity within the province to take a more regional approach to how we promote the province. You know, the garden route does have international currency. So rather than focusing on the individual towns, um, let's focus on the garden route and put the garden route on the map. Let's focus on the Overberg and put the Overberg on the map so that an international tourist at some point knows what the Overberg is in it, not just Hermanus, you know? So, and I think, so in the short term, I think that that's where, my focus is. So in a couple of years, I'd love to be in a place where, you know, the international traveler knows the, as the viscous as well as he knows the garden route. Um, and that will benefit everybody, you know, and then I think, yeah, I think Westgrow is such a unique agency to, to be involved in because, you know, we, the CMO job at Westgrow is really place marketing because I'm also responsible for all the other promotional efforts that we do within Westgrow from a marketing perspective. So I look, we look after the investment promotions campaigns. We look after the export teams campaigns. We look after the film industries campaigns. So there's a real opportunity to create value proposition provincially that does, you know, does one job to tell the story of why you want to travel here, why you want to invest here, why you want to export from here, why you want to film your, shoot, shoot your movie here. So, you know, that's what's exciting to me is finding that one big thing that we can all speak of. But I know your first love is tourism because you've been 
<laughs> very long time. And I'm interested in that journey. You know, it's not, you don't wake up and decide that you're going to go and head up a tour operator. You don't wake up and decide that you're going to go work at SA Tourism. You've just said you've mm. got private sector, public sector. You've gone with whatever has excited you at the time. Take us on that journey. How did you get involved in tourism and how did that journey mm. then go through the years, the different positions that you've held? So interestingly, my first attempt at adulting was um, studying to be a journalist. (laughs) But I just, yeah, I realized it would involve a whole lot of research and a whole lot of sort of sitting in a dusty library back in the day um, without Google, um, trying to do research and then realize that that's definitely not my vibe. Um, so I, um, I was actually, I was living in Berlin at the time and I went and booked to book a flight with a South African tour operator to come and visit my family back in SA and chatted to the lady that was happened to be the GM and was telling her about my unhappiness. And she said, well, we've got an apprenticeship in the tour operation going at the moment. Would you be interested? So you see it is for me, it's a trailer breadcrumb. So I found it exciting. I went in and I did it and obviously I did it well because I knew South Africa so well. So having a tour operator in a person working there that knew the area was very helpful. And then when I decided to come back to SA, I was a German speaking, uh, German trained (laughs) travel um, person. And so, you know, that was relatively easy for me. Um, And I just really grew into it. Hey, And I have to also say, um, I was very lucky to have worked at Tourvis for 13 years. Um, And Tourvis at the time was really growing and morphing um, and reinventing itself every couple of years, which they still really do now. You know, they're still quite agile in that space. But so what was very helpful was that I was able to grow professionally whilst not really having to change my employer. You know, so I went from being the GM of a small German group series operation called incentive touring to being heading up sales and marketing for um, holiday Africa, which was then one of the inbound brands and then becoming the sales and marketing director of your Africa, which was then the amalgamation of all a whole heap of other brands. And so that was a 13 year journey that sort of took me from operations through to, you know, customer facing sales and marketing. Um, And that really set me up for, for, for the next step, which was then, you know, at SA Tourism, initially just looking after the Americas, um, as regional director. And then when they did again, a restructure, they, I was looking after all of the country offices that weren't on the African continent. So that was two and a half years of great fun at SAT doing that. Um, and it, uh, you know, I have to say, I mean, going, coming from then from private sector to, to public sector, that was a huge culture shock for me. Um, but I learned so much, you know, it was incredible to, to understand how it all plays together, how it all interlocks. Also from a leadership perspective, I learned so much at SAT because, you know, you've got these country managers all over the world that are real experts in their field, in their markets, in their source market. And, you know, they really don't need someone managing them on a transactional day-to-day operational basis. They need someone that sort of almost supports them and protects them and, and gives them strategic um, advice really more than anything else. And then just gets out of the way and lets them be the excellent, you know, people that they are. 
And that taught me a lot. It also taught me a lot about, I guess it maybe set me up for lockdown leadership <laughs> because all these people were, of course, not in my office with me. So you couldn't really, you couldn't really, you know, interact with them spontaneously at the water cooler. So you had to build mechanisms to find connection and to find ways of engagement that made, that were rich and that were still meaningful um, in that context. And yeah, so that taught me a lot. That taught me a whole heap. Oh, and then back to private sector when we moved to Cape Town to head up um, private safari as a CEO for the last five years. And now West Grow. Sure, what a journey. Now West Grow. Now I know <laughs> pretty well, but I'm going to be very keen to find out what uh, there is something about you that people don't know that know you well. Is there a little secret something? <laughs> I have a lot of tattoos, which I don't think anyone knows. <laughs> Except my husband, of course. <laughs> I have quite a few tattoos. Oh, wow. um, I would say, um, and not little ones either. I've got quite big tattoos. I, would, I think I'm on my seventh now. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I did not know that about you. Well, now next time I see you, I definitely want to see some of them. <laughs> yeah. They're all in places that people don't, don't get to see regularly. So... Okay. on purpose okay gotcha right and someone in your <laughs> life who's been influential someone that's given you a hand up someone you want to thank there's been so many hey there's been an incredible amount of people that have just really that I've learned a lot from you know um, and oftentimes I've gone into that lesson kicking and screaming so if, uh, you know <laughs> I mean, Martin Wiest for sure for me is, is someone that's just, you know, he's, I mean, he, I think beats every record in terms of how long he's been at one company. I think he's had his like 30th anniversary or something at Tourvest is something crazy. Um, but he literally joined Tourvest as a, as a tour guide or as a driver straight out of varsity. And he's just kind of worked his way into who he is today. And he is, you know, and the risk is, there's a great risk to stay in a business for a very long time and sort of become complacent and, you know, <clears throat> hold on to, this is how we always do things or, you know, become complacent. And that's definitely not Martin. I mean, Martin's continually pushing himself to learn more and to understand the world differently and to approach a problem in a different way. And, you know, and he's become a real wise sort of voice for me in the industry and he's matured incredibly. Um, so he's definitely someone. And in our time when we were working together at Tourvest, he was definitely someone that I learned a whole heap from sometimes also not how not to, <laughs> but mostly, mostly he was quite, um, he was in intellectually challenging and he was professionally pushing me. So that was a, he's definitely, um, been quite a central figure in my career. Um, the other person that taught me a whole heap was Hanali Slabo at SAT. She, I mean, she is the most passionate tourism person. She is just tireless in, you know, championing, championing the cause of the South African tourism um, promise. And um, she and I had a couple of really tough fights about things, but they taught me a lot. 
you know, they taught me a lot about myself and they, you know, she, she, they, she, she doesn't let you bullshit her. Okay? I mean, she, she forces you to be honest with her, with you and with, with yourself and with her. And so, um, yeah, so she's definitely someone that for me stands out. And then more recently, I would say, um, Margie Whitehouse, who was my boss at SAT and then served with you and me on the inbound recovery group last year. Um, just like this real icon of, you know, such a strong woman who's completely, who completely ignores, you know, um, you know, standards and like expectations and just like does Margie, you know, and just like she's, she's like, she's unapologetically Margie, you know, and I just really, really admire that. And I aspire to that, you know, cause she's just like, pfft. I'll do me and you do you and then we'll be fine, you know? <laughs> and, but at the same time, yeah. <laughs> and at the same time, just so authentic and just so there's this depth of caring and this depth of understanding and yeah, she's just, she's, yeah. When I grow up, I want to be Margie. <laughs> me too. <laughs> I say that. <laughs> uh, talk to me about some of the lessons that we could learn from the tourism industry in Africa. What is it about us that we do well that other industries could learn from, other countries could learn from? I know you're going to say resilience because goodness. <laughs> no, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Rebecca Davis also has a, has a point eh, when you say, can we please be known for something other than resilience? Can we please be in a place where resilience isn't a thing that we need to keep putting on our T-shirts? Um, but I think, I think the one thing that the tourism industry, when the chips are down, one thing that the tourism industry, or the tourism value chain, let me say, because I think public sector also in, belongs in there, the public sector that is involved in tourism, at least partially belongs in there. The one thing that we do incredibly well, and I think certainly from my experience, better than other industries is, is work together. You know, I think when the chips are down, we all understand that it's one tourism family and we all check our personal aspirations at the door and we pull together and get something done. Um, and I think that that's something um, that, that other industries do not have. Other industries are substantially more cutthroat substantially more aggressive um, and substantially more divisive as well. And I th why I love the industry so much is because the people come first in this industry, because it's the people that, that's our product. You know, it's the, it's the experiences of, of interacting with South Africans that is part of what makes a, a holiday to South Africa so unforgettable. You know, and so we understand that our currency is our people, and therefore you could never have a business that treats the people that deal with your customers badly because that's always going to blow back on you. You know, whereas other industries don't have to put people first. Other industries, you know, it's about my pharmaceutical product, or it's about you know about the train running on time, or whatever it is. You know, so yeah, so that's the that for me, and that's so that's the tourism industry. In, in general, mm -hmm. I think, um, and I can't speak for the rest of the world, so I don't know if the German tourism industry stood together as well as we did um, during COVID. I have no data. I have some suspicions, but I have no data. <laughs> but um, the other thing I think that makes tourism on the African continent so unique um, 
is is and one of the strengths of of tourism on the continent is that we are just the continent of wide open spaces you know and you know we have an ex- we have experiences here in in on the continent that you just can't have anywhere else you know you can only there's only one place where you can go find the gorillas there's only one place in the world where you can drive in a vehicle and see a, a migration you know it's only one place where you can um, drive in a safari vehicle and see leopards and lions and things. And so, you know, and that's what makes it really unique. And, and because of the way that our product is, is built, it's very, very unlikely that we'll ever get into a situation of over-tourism, you know, because it is just wide open spaces and that safari experience and this open savannah and, you know, all those things. I mean, even Table Mountain, there's absolutely no way that you could ever do, you, could, you couldn't replicate Eiffel Tower at Table Mountain. We just, it's not built that way. It's built for a certain amount of people. And that's kind of, um, and that guarantees the traveler a certain experience that they just, you know, historically, anyway, pre-COVID wouldn't have had in Venice or in Paris or in, you know, so that's definitely the uniqueness. The weakness um, of the continent certainly is first and foremost, this horrific perception of the rest of the world that we're unsafe um, and that we're maybe even unhygienic at the moment that there's a, you know, there's a dodginess around how we've handled COVID on the continent. And there's, you know, and you and I, you've experienced this together with me, even, even now trying to get, you know, certain governments to take a different approach to travel policies around South Africa. Um, there's this, there's this underlying suspicion in our core source markets that something's, something's, yeah, something's dodgy on the continent. (laughs) You know, there's this like real brand challenge that we've got. Um, that and every time something bad happens on the continent like it does everywhere else in the world but every time it happens somewhere on this continent it becomes a proof point that clearly things are not well on this continent and then in other times you know so if you if you compare i mean if you just as an example the amount of mass shootings that happen in the u.s if that was the amount of mass shootings happening in south africa it would be an entirely different story entirely different story. Um, and that's, and that's, you know, and that's deep, deep seated, long-standing cultural beliefs that you're sitting with there, which is a big, big challenge for the continent. Yeah. It's um, a story. It's a story that's been told for such a long time. And every yeah. time something happens, as you say, it's this proof point that, Oh, the story that I'm telling myself is a true story. And yes. yeah. How do you unravel that? You know, you can show amazing photographs. You've just spoken about the amazing experience that we have on the African continent and the people that come here and go home and tell everybody and they come back, they keep coming back. What is the repeater rate to South Africa is incredible. It's high. It's like 40% or something. Exactly. People just have yeah. this most amazing, incredible, incredible experience here. And part of me thinks, well, that's the kind of person I want here, actually. Mm. So, mm. so if you are telling yourself a story a thousand miles away, that is a negative story about the destination. Do I really want you to be here? I have to keep thinking. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I mean, the beauty of it is that everyone that comes here positively found, found themselves curious enough to 
come here anyway, despite the fact that we're so dodgy. Um, they all, they all are massively surprised. You know, they, they, it, it, it adds to the aha moment, you know, but obviously we don't want it like that. Listen, if I had an answer to how you address that real sort of, um, negative bias, I guess, um, then I really, I would be a rich woman because I think that's, that's the thing that we under, on the continent labor under substantially. And it's, it's, as you say, it's, it's years and years and years of, I mean, centuries of just mm. attitude. And the other, the other challenge that we've got, particularly in the Western Cape, um, is, is just access. It's just, it's, we are very far away for a lot of our core source markets and no full marks to, you know, the guys from the USA and from Canada coming all the way here. Cause it's far. I mean, when I was at private safaris, I had to go to Toronto once a year. It's far. It's like a mission, you know, for them to still come here. It's not quite something. Um, and, and yeah, so if it, if it were easier to get, to get here, then I think we would also have um, less of a, of a challenge. Um, and, you know, particularly at the current, in the current space that we find ourselves in South Africa in particular and Cape Town, most of all is a through, is not a through destination. It's an end destination, which means <clears throat> in uncertain times, people are going to preferably fly to a place where if something goes, you know, goes a bit wonky with their own country's travel policy around where I've gone, then I'd rather be in a place where if I can't go home directly, at least I can rent a car and drive somewhere else and come home or, you know, catch a flight to elsewhere and then connect from there or whatever it is. Whereas Cape Town, you know, is like, that's it. You know, you've got to, there's only one way home, you know? Um, and so that's, that's, it's a challenge. It's a challenge for the continent in general. Airlift is a challenge for the continent in general. We have nowhere near, I mean, I don't know if you ever before COVID had a look at Skyscanner and have a look at how many flights are sort of crisscrossing the States and how many flights are flying across Europe and Asia. And then you look at Africa and it's just like, like 10% of that. Mm. So yeah, air access is a, is a big challenge. Social distancing with airlines. That's what they're doing. Hmm. <laughs> Last question for you, and that is okay. the tourism industry's importance to mm. Africa. And I know, and I know you love a good stat, and I know I love a good stat, and I know we talk about our 1.5 million um, indirect, direct jobs in South Africa for jobs. the tourism industry. But I think beyond that, what is it about tourism that is so important beyond job creation for the African continent? Yeah, but you see, I mean, job creation makes it sound like such a flat thing, mm. you know, because it's not really, it's not, it's not just that I mean, employment is just the thing. That's just the stat, you know, I mean, I was talking to, to someone the other day that was in, that's involved in, you know, conservation in the greater Kruger and beyond actually. And they were saying, you know, the, the, the and I, th and I certainly think that now that there's an absence of tourism, we can really all see what how important it actually is. I mean, certainly I sit in my office here on the, on St. George's mall without tourism, the St. George's mall is a very sad place, you know, and uh, shops closed that would normally just have catered to, to international tourists. And, you know, it's, it's not nice. Um, but it, it, so this conservation friend of mine was saying, we speak about the, the impact of the absence of international tourism dollar to the conservation area as if it were something that 
at the moment, because the tap is turned off, there are certain things that are not being funded. But then once you turn the tap back on, then it just goes back to normal. You know, it goes back to how it was before. But we neglect to understand, and this is why for me tourism is such an important thing for the African continent and for South Africa in particular, and for the Western Cape more, most of all, is because when you take away the ability for someone to generate an income through tourism, what you're doing is you are throttling their ability to create wealth, not just for themselves, but for their children and for their children's children. So you're creating, so tourism, generating revenue through tourism creates a, a wealth pipeline for you and your family, where my father was a mechanic and I'm a safari guy child will be able to have a tertiary education and then that child will be able to and that is the trajectory that's exponential the exponential nature of tourism the ability for tourism to exponentially uplift this nation is what's important so it's not only about do I have a job do you have a job it's also about what did your how are you, is your situation through tourism better than your parents' situation was? And therefore, how can you translate that into the bed, even better position for your children and so on and so on? And that's the thing that matters about tourism. And this continent needs it more than any other. And that's the word from Monica Yule. She's someone who will keep moving heaven and earth to deliver those exponential benefits of tourism for the Western Cape and South Africa. Monica, it was a pleasure to get a window on your world. Thanks for helping us unlock Africa.